Praise the Lord. What a privilege for us to be gathered together in the house of God today. I wonder if we fully, fully comprehend the price that was paid so that we would be able to stand here today to be recognized, accepted into the presence of the Almighty. At one time, we would not even be allowed into the temple. We would have not been allowed into the tabernacle in the wilderness. We would have been allowed on the outer part and called the court of the Gentiles. That was as far as we could go. But today, not only are we allowed in this building, but we're baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. I hope it never becomes common to us. That we just think, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so what? I get to go to church. I, I get to be able to feel the presence of God. I get to pray. Um, I hope it's always, always before us what a great value that we have. Let's talk about the church today again, can we? St. John 4, 16. Now, I know this is unusual and strange, just taking Wednesday night's thought, but until the guide directs me off of it, we'll just stay where we are. Okay. St. John chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and him whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. According to what the Bible tells us, the law, which was called the Torah, the Hebrew word for law means Torah, the law was given at what Paul called the dispensation of angels, the disposition. With dispositions and dispensations comes changes, of course, in divine order, but With this one, it's not just a change of order in the way you go about doing things, but it's going to be a change by experience. This disposition is not coming by angels. It's not coming by theophany. But it's a way to get the Spirit of God into the human heart to be able to settle the sin question. Now, St. John 4, 23 The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So Jesus is giving a change when something is fixing to happen. How are you going to get worshipers then into the spirit? Do they just walk inside a place as it would have been in the temple of of the Old Testament or the tabernacle of the wilderness or the Mount Gerizim, which she was familiar with, and they would walk into the outer court and they would sense something. Did chills come on their arms and they sensed something was going to happen? So the true worshipers then in this new dispensation, they've got to worship 
in spirit and in truth. How do they get in there? How do they get into spirit? Is spirit that he's talking about something that you feel, a tingling? Most people associate the anointing with something they feel. Is it always that? Is it something that you sense, something that you feel? Notice in verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How many like to be remembered today as we pray? God bless you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we are truly grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way for us, not only to be able to worship, but to be accepted in your sight. Father, all of us, really, all of our lives, even when we were little kids, we wanted to be accepted. If there was people that we looked up to and admired, for them to be able to look at us and even speak to us. It did something to us. For us to be recognized at school. For us to be acknowledged many times even by our parents or grandparents. Or just people that we looked up to and honored. For us to have our name called. It was something. So now Lord for us to be recognized by you. What a privilege it is. For us to know that we are accepted in the beloved. We want you to know we are so grateful. Fathers, we approach you today through the channel of prayer. We're asking that you once again would come, take your word, speak to us. Break it to us, Father, as it were the bread of life, as only you can do. Lord, I have in my hand today this prayer call for Sister Brenda Harmon having this surgery and even today in the hospital because of some complications before the surgery. We pray that you'd be mindful of the Lord. May the presence of God minister to her, and not only her, but every hand that was uplifted today signified a need, a desire, request. I pray that you'd grant it to us today, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So God's plan is to get his spirit into the human soul and be able to resolve the question or the problem of sin, which was placed in man after the fall of Adam. But how do you ever get the spirit of God, the life of the eternal, into human beings who are born with sin nature. And we know that Adam sinned without sin nature. But after the fall, then everyone, including his firstborn, had sin nature. And animals could come and provide a chemistry, a paint which would be accepted in substitutionary way, but never go to the real problem, 
So they would lay their hands on the animal and the priests would cut its throat and it would twitch and quiver and jerk and the worshiper would feel that should have been him or her. But the desire to sin was still there. It didn't take care of one thing. You see, the key to really understanding the sacrifice for sin is not just studying on the atonement, but actually understanding the Godhead. Many people approaching the atonement for sin feel like the greater comprehension of taking care of sin would be the lamb, the blood, the substitutionary life, understanding how God would take this one for that one, the redemption money, the colors of silver, purple, and trying to understand all the streams of redemption down to the Old Testament. But really, when you look at it, all of that is important. But it's more so the key to understanding it is understanding the person of the Godhead. Because seeing His nature and what He desires to bring to pass in our lives ties all the colors of the rainbow, all the materials in the tabernacle, all the elements in the temple, ties it all into the mystery of His person. And when we look at the mystery of redemption and the greatest revelation of the Bible is not the size of the city. The greatest revelation of the Bible are not the seven colors of the rainbow. Even the greatest revelation of the Bible is not the mystery of the creative blood of God. But the greatest revelation of the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because in that contains every other essential element of the revelation of God. Which includes you as well. Listen to this in the Philadelphia church age. If people can't see the truth of the Godhead but fight it, they can't ever see the rest of the truth because the revelation is Jesus Christ in His church and His works in the midst of the church for the seven church ages. Listen to this now. So if people can fight and will fight the mystery of the Godhead, and they think, oh, that's not even important. Why, why, why do we need to even talk about such a thing? Because if you don't understand that, you'll never understand the rest of the mystery of God. Amen. Notice this, he said, if people can't see the truths of the Godhead, but fight it. Can't you see why Satan then wants people to fight 
the revelation of the Godhead. So whether it's through the ideology of Trinitarianism or two lords or Jesus onlyism, whatever it would be to try to get you by tradition to fight the real truths of the Godhead because he knows that is one of the elementary principles of understanding the entirety of who God is and who God is in the church. Notice this, he says, in his church, in his works, in the midst of the church for the seven ages. Do you get it? Now I'm sure you understand. Now let's jump over to the Laodicean church. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. The New Testament does not reveal another God. Now, if you would read the Old Testament, you will come out of the Old Testament with the understanding of one God. The only reason that people even believe that there would be one God out of the Old is because tradition has so embedded the concept from their perception of the New, and then they go backwards and read the Old. But if you would take the Old Testament and you were totally ignorant of the Bible, and you would start in Genesis 1 and you would read from Genesis to the Old Testament, last book, Malachi, and then you would start in the book of Matthew and go to the last book, which is the book of Revelation. And without being traditionalized by traditional concepts of Trinitarianism, you would come out of the Old Testament with the concept that there is one God. Then you would go into the New Testament with that same concept of there being one God. You would not be traditional traditionalized by church anity to believe them that there are three. So whenever they came out of the Old Testament, they were not looking for a second person of the Godhead. They were looking for the person of the Godhead to be made manifest. But after the Nicaea Council and after Arianism, which took away from the deity of our Lord, and then the Nicene Council of 325, and then they started formulating the new concept of the Godhead, which was to take away the name, the power, and the revelation of God in the body. Because if you can change people's view about God, it will change everything about their life. You see, Satan found this in the Garden of Eden first when he attacked the first human being. And that was when he come to the woman in the Garden of Eden and he said, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now it might seem simple to you and I, but actually he's attacking the very character or name or Hebrew word Shem of God. Because God had revealed himself in Genesis 1 under the name God, Elohim. But whenever he goes to revealing himself in the form of this express attribute dealing with his children, he compounds his revelation and said, the Lord God. Now then we see that God moves over beyond God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. But when God goes to dealing with his family, he chooses to reveal himself under the auspices of Lord God, which is Jehovah with his family. 
But when Satan comes against the woman, he reverts her back to the original, you know, God, which she was not a part of in the beginning. So he wants to separate her away from that loving Heavenly Father, which she has known to this impersonal being called God, which was the God of Genesis 1. Now I said, so he did not say, yea, hath the Lord God said, but yea, hath God said, that impersonal being which has placed you down on the earth, which is really uncaring, which is trying to rob you of something, he's trying to keep something from you now, you know, he's not a father, he doesn't really care, why would he tell you not to dress this way, and go here and go there and do this and that, he's trying to be mean to you, that same devil is still talking today. And even though it might not have seemed like much a response to you and I reading the book of Genesis, but yet Satan knew that he was able to accomplish this because Eve's response matched Satan's perfectly. So he said, yea, hath God said? She turned right around and said, yea, God hath said. So now she goes to responding in the same way about God's character and God's name and the way it was presented. So she said exactly the response that the devil wanted to hear. And that was, yes, my father is mean. He's very impersonal. He's trying to rob me of something. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I can't do this. I can't do that. I have to quit this. God is so mean. God is so hateful. No, my God is not mean, nor he is not hateful. If God tells me no, it's always for my good. The reason people take it that way is because they don't love him the right way. That's right. They need their ideology about God changed, and once that's changed, then you'll seem right. So here we know then that into this, Satan found this was the very key. So misrepresent God, no matter what age that God is doing something, totally misrepresent him and his character to human beings in the way you want him to be. Now it's amazing when you look at it because Satan is actually taking on as if though he's the personality of God. and taking on and giving God his own personality. Now watch what he does because he's acting as if though he's the one who really cares about Eve. He's acting like he's really the one who cares. So he is taking upon himself the personality of God and he wants to give God the personality of the devil. Now look, God is the one who's trying to keep something from you. He's the one that's trying to rob you. See, the devil does you and I the same way when he talks us into temptation of doing something that we shouldn't do well God's this and God's that and God's somehow and I'm really the one who loves you yeah will you believe that I'd like to sell you some lakefront property in the Sahara Desert you see what he does he wants to take on God's personality and then give God his own personality so he represents himself as God and represents God as the devil oh my goodness and it's amazing how many people will listen to those lies and receive that image in their heart and then once the devil talks them into doing it then guess what he takes the mask off and they find out really who God is and which one was the devil well praise the Lord 
Now, notice in so we see that God desires to be able to change the dispensation in the New Testament. So he does not reveal another person in the Godhead, but he reveals the Godhead in another form of itself, which it has never been in before, and that is in the state of sonship. Watch this, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. The New Testament does not reveal another God. It is a further revelation of the one and same God. But now it's not going to look anything like or talk anything like or act anything like the God that you saw in the Old Testament. It's going to look so different. It's going to act so different. His words will be so different that only a few people on the earth will ever be able to catch it. Christ did not come down to make himself known. He did not come to reveal the Son. He come to reveal and make known the Father. He never talked about two gods. He talked about one God. Now in the last days, we've come back to the capstone revelation. The most important revelation of Godhead in the whole Bible, that is, Jesus is God. He ain't no second person. He is the person. He and the Father are one. There is one God and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, for there is one God. I love the way Paul going into the mediatorial ship of the Lord Jesus intervening as we've been looking at the word from the book of Job called the word daysman. So it is one who's able to bridge the gap between the divine and the human and he has the ability because he has this dual personality was the words that the prophet used. The Lord Jesus had this dual personality which was absolutely necessary and essential. Now the creator, Father God, could have created human life. He could have created a special human being on the earth that would have had human eyes and had human ears and a heart and all that sort of thing and yet he could have been divine on the inside and he could have left him without a soul or left him without the ability to choose but then he would have been putting our sins upon this special created being and this being would have been acting out the plan of redemption but without his own will. Now, Father must do this in a just way. But how is he ever going to get uh, the daysman to be able to stand between God and man and be able to make it a God-man and make it both divine and human and leave the human will there and yet be able to bring the soul into a place that God, not only body, but body and soul can be a perpetuation for our sins. 
How is he ever going to do it? And yet the man himself cannot be sinned because you can't take one under the penalty of death and let him die for another under the penalty of death. So you have to take one that's not under the penalty of death to pay the penalty of death for others. And when man fell, everything under man was born under the penalty of death. So God had to create a special man that was not born under the penalty of death. Praise the Lord. Then Paul uses this word mediator. He said, for there is one God and one mediator between, I love the way he uses this, so before he ever introduces the mediator, he said, now I want to let y'all know there ain't two gods. So I'm not going to preach to you now. He said that there's one Father God and there's a God the Father and then there's a God the Son because that'd be two gods. So he said, before we even go to the mediatorship, I want you to know that there is only one God. But this one God has the capability of creating for from his own being another, oh hallelujah, another extension of his own being in the form of Logos. Which is not another God, but it's the same God made manifest. One mediator. So the word mediator means a middleman. It literally means the Greek word there. Uh, it is a middle person or a one who is in the office to reconcile two parties together. So it is a middleman or a peacemaker. So God was offended by our sins and our crimes and none of us could go to him and it could not be an angel that came down to us and the word must become incarnate in a man. So Paul said there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Now don't you notice how he identifies this mediator? That it was the man, Christ Jesus. So it was not the theophany, Christ Jesus. It was not the logos, Christ Jesus. It was not the spirit, Christ Jesus, but the man. Now you know that whenever he writes this, that the Lord Jesus has already ascended up into heaven why is he still referring to him as a man because the special creation that was on the earth has now moved into the heavenly realm in a glorified body so the man Christ Jesus is what we will behold through eternity with the father hanging over him that great light So the father now projects from his own bosom as Jesus said, I came forth from the very heart of God. So he come from the very heart of God and he come to the earth and the word must be incarnate. Now listen to this. I think this is what confuses a lot of folks when they're trying to understand the mystery of redemption. And they believe that Jesus was actually a man prior to his incarnation. But he wasn't. He was the word. So don't get in your mind now that in heaven there was this man, boy, there was this young fellow in his 30s or however old you think he was, and he was there in heaven, and all of a sudden he, he and the father, they talk about it, and this man leaves heaven and comes down and becomes a baby. There's no scripture in the Bible that says any such thing. But the Bible does say 
the word was made flesh. So the son of God in the heavenlies was not a man, but it was the word. Well, glory to God. If you'd have got that real right, somebody screamed hallelujah real good because you'd have caught the understanding that's what you was when you left heaven. You see, the Word was not a man prior to his advent coming to the earth, but he was the Word. So what was you? Before you come to the earth, you were the Word or a thought or an attribute. Is that right? Now, John tells us, of course, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. So the Word, what was it before it was made flesh? It was the person of the Word. And Philo, which was, of course, a Jewish historian uh, to the time of Paul, said that the Word was the middle person which became a man. So it was not a man in heaven, and and then it became, came down and became a baby and grew into a man. But God's son that came out of heaven was his word. And then that son of God, the Logos, got inside a human body. Amen. If you look at your own journey, you're not too far from the same thing. Praise be to God. Notice this. The prophet said then there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. He was the one who died to bring the relationship that was once lost between God and man back again. He is our provided sacrifice for our sickness, our salvation. He was wounded for our transgressions with his stripes. We were healed. Now Jesus himself, when he was young, I quote this again so people will understand. Jesus was. Y'all okay with this? Jesus was an ordinary man. Now, if you would have looked at him, there would have not been great beams of light that would have come from him and it would have put your eyes out. No, that's the glorified Christ in Revelation 1. That was the man Christ Jesus that entered into the glorified state. But this man right here would have been a natural looking man. He would have ate food. He would have drunk water. He would have grown with a headache as we know. He would have been like any ordinary looking man. But inside of his body was creative blood. His heart would have pumped. If you'd have had a stethoscope in that day and put on Jesus' heart, it would have sounded like any other human's heart. If they would have been able to check his blood pressure, Jesus would have had blood pressure like any other human. Praise the Lord. He would have had hunger pains. His belly would have growled when he got hungry. you imagine Jesus with a growling belly? Well, he had one. He would have been a human like all the rest of us if he would have worked and got hot in that Palestinian sun, sweat would have run down his face and Jesus would have reached up and took a handkerchief or whatever they used and wiped the sweat out of his face. Praise God. He was an ordinary man that walked out here on the street like you meet daily. He was born a peasant 
wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Why? It must be. The mediator must be a God-man, and it must be the man, Christ Jesus. Notice, so he must have something to offer that will be capable of spreading the gap between the divine and the human. And he must be able to be made sin, yet separate the sin which he will become from the blood which will be offered as the atonement. He cannot say anything wrong, do anything wrong, and yet he must become all wrong. And still be separate from the wrong or he cannot offer himself. Praise be to God. The justice of God must be met and must be satisfied in the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. So on the behalf of men, he must undertake their sin, their perpetuation on the behalf of the Father. He must partake, oh hallelujah, of the divine and be able to be the communication channel by which the divine life, Zoe, will be able to be given back to human beings. How in the world is he ever going to do all this together? Only God could devise such a program. He must make peace between God and man. Notice Paul goes on to say in verse 6, he said, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is given what is given in exchange for another as the price of redemption. Oh my. Who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Look in Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself. Now I hope you understand the way we're going to go this morning. The Lord Jesus actually starts the sacrifice as high priest in the garden of Gethsemane before he ever gets to the whipping post or to the cross. As a matter of fact, the prophet tells us he died more of a death in the garden of Gethsemane than he did at Calvary. He must enter in to the mysterious part of his life And that is become sin and yet not touch it. (laughs) He must become sin and yet not touch sin. He must become a curse and yet remain accepted. How can you do both? This is why you need a God man. Now man can become a curse and man can become rejected. Man can become annihilated. And God, God is accepted. God is pure. God is holy. But you need someone who can do both. And God had to create a special something out of the Logos, which he called a son. Praise God. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through 
the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Now, wait a minute. How can this be that he is without spot and yet a sinner? But remember, he bore our sins in his flesh. The scripture says nothing about it in his blood. He starts the sacrifice in the garden of Gethsemane with what? His will. Remember, as I said last Wednesday, whenever it was, that Adam never had what we call the fallen Adamic nature. The element of sin was not born in Adam. How was Adam so judged by God? Because he willingly took her place. And he said, if she's got to go to hell, I'll go to hell with her. So where was the judgment of God placed upon Adam? In his will, his choice. This is why God cannot make just a lamb without a soul. Every other lamb didn't have a soul. This one must have a soul. And this one must choose. I choose to die for my bride. And in that choice, God said, because you chose that, I damn you. You, because of that choice, are an outcast. Glory be to God. So he offers himself through the eternal spirit. Now we know the anointing left him in the garden of Gethsemane. So part of the sacrificial work must start. In the garden. What did it start with, Brother Mark? I will, Father. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Please, Father, let it go. Let it go, Father, if it be your will. Nevertheless, not my will. Right there. Right there. The second Adam chooses you. Right there, the second Adam chooses your life over his. Your deliverance over his. Your freedom over his. So Christ does not go out and get a lamb in the field. He does not go out and get the wave sheaf or go out and tell Peter and them, catch a goat and bring the goat in and then I'll release it. But Christ is the lamb which is put up. Oh, oh God. And then in the garden... The transition begins from sheep to goat.
that my transition 2,000 years later can be from a hard-headed, stubborn goat to a lamb of God. I wouldn't goat by seed, goat by nature. I always was sheep by seed, but I definitely was a hard-headed goat by nature. Come on, the rest of you might as well say amen to you. It's just as hard-headed, if not worse than I was. But in union by the divine and the human, both soul and body, oh, children, can't you see? It cannot just be the body of this lamb. It must be the body and the soul. Man's problem was not just his body. His problem since the Garden of Eden had been soul trouble. Hebrews 9, 15 And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where a testament is or a will there must also of necessity be the death of the testator or the one who had the wheel drawn up. Now you might be worth millions of dollars or 45 cents and you go and you decide to have your wheel made up. Well, I'm gonna give one boy the old Volkswagen. I'm gonna give the other one the John Deere. I'm gonna give this and that and the other. But you put in there upon my death. It ain't gonna happen until you die. So here is God which wrote the will But the testator must die. But the eternal cannot die. But he cannot create a special testator whose will coincides with his will. What's this in the position of a believer? The prophet said Eve actually thought she was right. But Satan deceived her. But he didn't deceive Adam. He knew it was wrong because of the love for his wife. He represented himself as sin and was condemned by the same and cast out of the Garden of Eden. And Christ was represented himself with the church full of sin. And was condemned. And his soul went to hell. That's right. And God raised him up on the third day. You believe that? It wasn't that he didn't sin. He did sin. God wouldn't have sent him to hell. Pure. He had to send him to hell. Condemned. 
Because he took our sins. Christ died. Lord Jesus. Not righteous. Christ died a sinner. Christ never sinned himself. But he took our sins. How did it come? In the garden. The sacrifice starts being offered. With what? I will. How was your rights forth in the Garden of Eden when a man said, I will go out with my wife? Yeah. And the other one in the Garden of Gethsemane said, I will go out with my wife. Amen. Christ died a sinner. Christ never sinned himself. But he took our sins on him. Notice this. He says any scripture theologian teacher would know the scapegoat of the Old Testament and so forth. He was both. Now you know from there there was two goats. They'd take one goat and kill it. And the other one, they'd transfer the sins on it and put it outside. Brother Bram says the Lord Jesus typed both of those. Now you have to know a little bit about the theology of this time from the Seventh-day Adventists and from others that many of the teachers of that day were teaching that the devil was one goat and Jesus was the other. This is why this needs to be straightened out. Praise God. You see, he will, if he can keep you, if he can switch one position by misinterpreted theology, it'll see you from going how low, seeing and perceiving how low he went in order to bring you back up to reconciliation. So what will the devil do? He will actually step into that position of the Lord Jesus. Now, oh no, oh no, oh no, that wasn't Jesus, that was me. Jesus said, out of my place, devil. Out of my place, devil. I'm going to anoint my prophet. He's going to preach it like it's never been preached before. I know you have brethren here, he said, that believes that the devil was the scapegoat. But no, no, no. Christ was both goats. That's right. Both death and resurrection. You see, he bore our sins away and then come forth in the resurrection. So it was Christ being represented for the church. He took the church's place of sin and was cast into outer darkness into hell and rose again on the third day. Now you imagine in the natural realm what we would have been seeing was a man Going over praying, crying. We see, we can tell he's under such anguish. His heart is so, so burdened. We, we can't understand it. We, we, don't, we don't catch it because we're seeing it's Jesus. But it's more than Jesus. It's the second Adam. 
We're seeing that it looks like he's afraid. We're seeing that he's trembling. And the Bible tells us he, he feared. I hope you understand when I say this. Aren't you glad he felt fear for you? But we can't understand what's going on. We, we can't comprehend it. We were Peter. We were James. We were John. And we're thinking, why, why is he acting this way? What, what's going on with him? But it was the sins of the whole world and the sacrifice procession had now started. And it's the high priest. Except he's not putting on beautiful garments, but he's agonizing and he prayed and he prayed. And the scripture said to come and walk at his, his disciples. And then he went back and prayed the more earnestly. And prayed until the capillaries in his body broke and entered into the sweat glands. And great drops of blood dripped from his brow. Not my will, but thy will be done. Praise God. Notice the prophet said when he died and on the day of his death, they took him down off the cross and they put him in the grave. He laid there from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning on that wonderful Easter morning when he rose again. And his soul was loosed from the prisons of hell. Where he went. May I say to you today, if you are lost at the day of judgment, I will stand with this congregation and say you heard the gospel story. We will witness against you and you will get your worthy judgment. Hell! If you hear this and turn it down, I say you are worthy of hell. You are worthy of being annihilated in the lake of fire. You deserve such a punishment. You was born lost. We were born wretched. He wasn't. He went as a sinner for you and I bearing our sins to give us a perfect assurance. No reason to doubt anymore to give it a perfect assurance because he did that. His soul was cast into hell because he was a castaway. So somehow or another in the garden He starts acting out the sacrifice. The submission of the will of the second Adam. Now the transitionary time comes to where the anointing leaves him in the garden of Gethsemane. Maybe on his way out after he heals Malchus' servant and sticks his ear back on the side of his head. And when he walks outside the garden he feels it as it leaves him. From that point on, things started downhill. Amen. 
if he started feeling the weight of it then? Was it the transition from the righteous feeling that he had before God? When was it that Jesus had started hitting him? He started feeling like a drunk. An adulterer. A liar. A thief. He died in shame, friends. He died feeling our guilt. That means sin before and felt guilt. Can you imagine all of this on him? Feeling the guilt of killing babies? Feeling the guilt of poisoning people? Feeling the guilt of being a murderer, a thief, a liar, a robber? Jesus was the scapegoat who had the sins of the people upon him and was cast away and went into hell to suffer the tortures. We pick up the the, the symbolism. We pick it up when he's knocking on the door as the conqueror. But this happened. Before he knocked on the door. Jesus' soul actually goes down into hell. And he starts feeling torture, Brother Joel. Torment. Why? He's there as a sinner. But there's one good thing about it. God didn't say how long you had to feel that way. Was it five minutes? Was it 10 minutes? As far as we'd measure time, was it 30 minutes? Well, it, I don't know how long it was, but I know it was long enough. I know it was long enough that the justice of God was met. Notice this. Oh, God. He was a castaway and went into hell to suffer. Suffer the tortures. His body went into the grave to pay the price of our resurrection. So his body is paying the price in the grave. His soul is down in hell paying the price. This is why I can shout today and you can shout and say, I'll never go to hell. He took my place. I don't have to. I'll never suffer the tortures of hell. My husband suffered it for me. Then on that Easter morning when he come back up from the grave for the pains of death and hell could not hold him. He rose up again on Easter morning. Not only did he rise, but so come Job, Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac. Notice again he said, he was a man. Lord children, when he called for mercy, at the cross, don't you understand? Jesus is dying like the most horrible sinner that ever lived. He's not dying with angels coming. Oh, I see loved ones coming. Oh, how many of our saints have I stood there and said, I see so-and-so, there's mama, there's daddy. Jesus didn't die that way. It was demons. It was hell. 
was begging for mercy as a lost man would beg for mercy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a man, when he called for mercy at the cross, dying a mortal's death, dying not only a mortal's death, but a sinner's death. Can't you see why he had to be a God man? God can't die. The eternal cannot die. And before the sonship could die, the eternal had to leave the body. Our sins was upon him. And he'd went to hell for us. Praise God. He had a package to be delivered down in hell. My name was on it. Your name was on it. Your name was on it. Our sins was laid upon him somewhere beginning in the garden or outside of the garden. I don't know exactly where at, but I know he carried, according to what the prophet said, he carried my sins to Calvary, from Calvary down to hell, and unloaded them at the gate of the one who caused it all in the first place. Hallelujah. Once he unloaded his load, hallelujah, then my brother, sister, he could change his garment and knock on hell's door and say, I brought you something, now I want something. I brought you Donnie's sin. I brought you Joel's sin. I brought you my daughter's sin. Now I want the keys. He carried our sins away as a scapegoat. When he was hanging there at the cross, he was crying for mercy. And he died like a man. But on Easter morning, he broke the seals of the tomb and rose again. He proved he was God. Now you see all those things which are types and shadows? So the scapegoat that was put away in the wilderness in an isolated place, separated from his fellow citizens, bearing the sins of the people upon his head, was a type of Christ being separated from God and out of his presence and bore our sins to hell. Praise God. Amen. I studied in this the other day. I got to look at this quote here. My, my eyes glanced right down on the next paragraph. And I thought, you know what? This don't really have anything to do with the scapegoat part. But in one way it does. Listen to this. He goes from bearing our sins to hell. Then he says, sickness pins you into the corner. Satan pins you down to a place. After you become a Christian, maybe you've been a gambler. You see it? The cards are on the table. Come on, John. 
We know it's in you. Satan is there to tempt you. But God in every time will make a way of escape if you'll just accept it. Maybe you've been a drunkard and a glass is under your nose. Now come on, John. Now if you want to heed to that voice, you'll go right straight out to your wallow again. But God is always there. Turn your mind towards heaven and look towards Calvary and say, Blessed Holy Spirit, come to me. I'm indeed. Watch what takes place. God will make a way of escape every time. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the scapegoat. He was all. And in him I'm complete. He bore my sins. He took my place at Calvary. He took my place under God's wrath. He took my place under God's punishment. He took my place in hell. And for me to take his place in heaven. To become a son of God, I now accept that basis right now. Well, you say I ain't good enough. I ain't good enough either. It ain't how good I am. It's how good he was. Well, I'll never deserve it. It ain't you deserving. It ain't me deserving. It's me being able to believe what he done. Well, if you ain't heard this sermon here in a while, you ought to cue it up. Living, dying, buried, rising, coming. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freedom forever. Someday he's coming, oh glorious day. And Brother Branham gets a mite Pentecostal, so I'll warn you before you turn it on. In the scriptures in the Old Testament, it's a sin offering when they got two goats. These goats, Jesus represented both of them, or they represented him rather. And the one goat was killed and the other was the sins of the nation. Can you imagine our Lord? Not just stooping to become a man, to become a goat, a servant on the pole. Is he determined to save you or what? One goat was killed, the other, the sins of the nations is placed on the goat, had to go out in the wilderness. Can't you see why they had to act like animals and treat him the way he did? He was in the wilderness of humanity. Out there alone amongst the beasts. Look, friends, this is where you are. The Laodicean beasts are raising up among us. Look at people that turn their back on this message. Look how full of hatred they become. Look how murderous and venomous they become. They're the beast of Laodicea. Oh, but one day Father will say, I've had enough. I don't want my sweetheart living down there no more. Come on up, darling. Amen. Amen. Jesus had to be that goat. I want you to notice, he said. He was a lamb. He was a sheep. But he was made goat for you and I. That we being goat might become Sheep. So if you're still stubborn and hard-headed today, goat head. 
the Lamb's here to change your nature. Can I have a little bit more time? Notice Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered, numbered, manna to count, reckon, assign, appoint, ordain. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You say, Brother Donnie, how can you preach this and believe he was God? He was the God man. He couldn't be the God God and do this. He couldn't be the man man and do this. But he was the perfect God man. Notice the prophet said, I believe him to be the God, Emmanuel, that came down from glory and formed himself in a body of flesh called the Son of God. Walked on the earth among men. He lived like a man. But he made himself a little lower than the angels in order to take death upon himself that he might die the death of a sinner. So when you die your death, that all of a sudden your eyes will lose the grip of mortality. And you'll be able to see your husband, your wife, your mama, your daddy being loosed from the other side. But that ain't what he saw. You imagine Jesus with the myriads of demons that he had haunted. You see, the four gospels can only give us a picture visibly of what they saw. But I wonder what was going on, Brother Wayne, that they did not see. I wonder the demons of sickness, the demons of adultery, the demons that he come against in that day. And as he kept nearing death and getting closer, and they got closer and closer. And Jesus is a man getting scared as he would see them demons. You imagine the torment he went through on the cross as them demons out of hell were spooky. Jesus as a man. Now maybe you ain't never seen a devil before. Some of you think you want to. Take my word for it. You don't. They were now being led out of hell. To torment him. And he couldn't do one thing. If you read very many stories, you know that people can get so drunk. And they can get so high. And so far out on drugs. They start seeing demons. And images. You know why? Drugs, alcohol is delving into the realm of demonology. It's not just substances, it's demons. All oh, these myriads of demons that Jesus had cast out. Now the anointing is not there. The power is not there. And them coming before his face, his eyes, he can already see. But there they are. He can't swat at them. He can't, he can't use his power because his power is gone. 
so that when you come down to your desk, your husband can gather around you and take your hand and say, Amazing grace. So as your mama passed not long ago, Brother Jonathan, y'all were able to gather around the bed, sing wonderful songs, feel the presence of God, not be scared of demons coming up out of hell. He died this kind of death, so you could die this kind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mama. Daddy. Brother Brandon. Hallelujah. He died a death of torment. So you could die a death of peace. Let me find a place to cause. Notice this and hear you him. Let's skip down maybe about the middle of the first paragraph there. God come down and took the death of a man upon himself and died the death of a sinner man. Is there anybody here that wants to die a sinner? Is there anybody in this place today, or in this out of my voice, wherever you are around the world, that wants to die the death of a sinner man or woman? And when it comes up to it, you are lost without God. He didn't either. I hope you can understand. He was more lost than you'll ever be. If you die lost, it'll be only your sins. This is why he went lower than we could ever go. The prophet said, I asked a chemist one time, and let me close. I asked a chemist one time about the death of Jesus. And he said, this doctor told me, he said, Branham, he did not die because the spear. He did not die because of the nails in his hands. He said he died because of grief. He said, in order for the blood and the water to separate, he said, he died the death. There is no human being, he said, could die the death that he died. We could not stoop to that place. It wasn't just the pain. It wasn't just the sins. But it was grief. Grief. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's read this in the adoption. When was his last cry? Eli, Eli, my God, my God. That was a man. Why hast thou forsaken me? In the garden of Gethsemane, the anointing left him, you know. He had to die as a sinner. He died a sinner, you know that. Not his sins but mine and yours. That's where that love come in. He took mine. Oh, hallelujah. He took mine. Praise God. Church choosing law for grace. Is there a sinner in here that don't know nothing about this, what I'm talking about? But yet you believe it to be the truth that Jesus Christ is God's son, that the wrath of God was poured out upon him And he died at Calvary, the death of a sinner. 
to take your place. He died your death at Calvary. And only in Him can you be saved. If you've never done it yet, I invite you to this altar. Come here now and be reconciled to God through Christ. Forsaking all, He gave up His sonship between Him and the Father to be made sin for us. You know that? He knowed no sin became sin for us. Our sins was placed upon Him. He gave up the sonship to become sin. And now He can make sinners sons. Amen. Amen. That's the good part. Take sinners and make sons. He give up His sonship to become sin. And He takes sinners and makes sons out of them. Amen. What a privilege. Yes, sir. Don't you love him? Can I read just one more? He went to Calvary and died out of the presence of God and suffered and was cast into hell because he was made sin. Made our sins upon him and there being our burden bare. So notice, our sins was on him before he got to Calvary. So the prophet goes on to say then he took our sins to Calvary and from Calvary to hell he's a man on a mission praise be to God so he's got our sins upon him and he takes our sins to Calvary don't ask me how I don't know I don't understand but the prophet said when I think of it God made me from my sins in that body I was there by representation but I was also there on that third morning when he got up praise be to God together. Oh, Jesus. If there's anybody here today that don't know him this way, friends, his presence is here. Maybe you've just had a, an intellectual faith walk and you realize there's more to God than what you've had. Let God help you. Maybe you're here today and you're sick. We don't want to leave you out of the picture. He suffered stripes on his body before he went to Calvary so you could be healed. Let's just face the facts. Whatever we have need of from this point in our journey on, he's more than able. You need peace, you need deliverance, you need power, peace of mind, whatever you need in your life. The Lord Jesus saved you. He'd give you a whole book full of checks. And he's got his name down at the bottom of it. All he's wanting you to do is sign your name and fill it out. Amen. Healing. A good MRI report. A good CT scan report. 
Deliverance from my family. Deliverance from my son. If you've got faith to fill it out, if you can, God can anoint your faith to pick up that pen. God can make good whatever you can believe for. Praise God. Lord Jesus, this makes us stagger under the impact of such such things. Lord, I've been looking at it now for several weeks and God, it's just overwhelming to me. I have to kind of break away and study on something else. I just get so under the influence or I can't hardly take it of what you've done for us. Thank you. Thank you seems so feeble, I know, but it's the best that we know how to say till we get another language to be able to say it. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you, Father. I'll never have to go to hell. I'll never have to die the death of a sinner. You died my death for me. You went to hell in my place so I could share in your kingdom. If most of us would have been standing there that day and we would have heard that thief, we would have probably not even thought he was forgiven. He never did say, I'm sorry, I repent, please forgive me. Maybe it's as far as he knew. But he said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He never said, I'm sorry. He never had time to be baptized. He never used the word repent. I find it so amazing, Lord, that we in all of our knowledge and all of our words And this man, apparently ignorant, didn't even use the words that we would use. But you read his heart. Praise God. But that prayer was so much that you said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The last person's sins laid on you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Your pain must have been so excruciating. We know that the artist's rendering is with you with a cloth around you. But the prophet tells us you hung there naked. You were ashamed. You were ridiculed by men. You were cursed by God. Angels turned their backs. Demons taunting you. Your disciples forsook you. And the eternal turned as it was from you. You were made a curse. Praise God. You're thrown two bloody timbers nailed together. Your diadem given to you by Romans and mockery. Your crown, thorns placed upon your head. But we look back at that and say, what a victory. And we can say right here today, Lord Jesus, in 2019, we are the proof that Calvary was a success. 
Praise God. For many of us were the wretchedest sinners. We were as lost as lost could be. Praise be to God. But here we stand today saved by the grace of God. Not only saved, but sealed with the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Lord. Can we just worship him just a little bit together, saints, before we, before we go? Don't it make you love him? Don't it make you just appreciate what he's done? There was no crown for him of silver or of gold. There was Adorn his brow and proud it stays. He bore and sinners gave to him the crown he wore. Let's sing it together now.
Yeah.